Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of our Christmassy from the Archives podcast. Last week, Jonathan kicked off a two-part series on the reason for the season. Uh, This week, we're wrapping it up. After one comes two, that's pretty much how it works. Uh, Really driving down deep, exploring the biblical idea, the biblical truth that God is love. How do we know it? What does that mean? What does that require? of us. It's a pretty Christmassy theme when you think about it, love. Without having given everything away already, it's time for me to shut up and hand you over to John. I want you to imagine it is a week today. Uh, So it's a week today, that would make it, anybody know? Christmas Day. I want you to imagine it's uh, Christmas Day and uh, you wake up, uh, you get out of bed, you take a, a stretch and a yawn, you open the curtains, Uh, You go downstairs, you pass your little tree, which is about this size and this fake. You go into the kitchen, you put the kettle on, you make yourself a nice little cup of tea. And as you sit in the kitchen on your own, you just say, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And so you go to the tree with your cup of tea and there's one present under the tree, the present that you bought yourself, but you thought you'd wrap it anyway. And so you sit on Christmas morning, this time next week, on your own with a cup of tea with a present you bought for yourself, saying Merry Christmas to yourself. But then, in the midst of that, a little smile starts to come on the side of your face. And then your heart starts to beat a little bit faster because you know in about two hours' time there's going to be a knock at the door and someone from Armand for the Evangelical Church is going to invite you into their car. It's going to drive you down to the Old Age Pensioners Hall where you're going to have a lovely welcome a little welcome bag filled by the members of Armfield Evangelical Church. You're going to have a lovely meal cooked by an army of women who do an amazing job every year. You're going to have some great entertainment, but more than that, you're not going to be alone. You're not going to be alone. Your long day is not going to be so long. You're going to have a real height in the middle of it. I believe that that's what Christmas is truly all about. For us as Christians, Christmas must be about transforming the lives of others. I guess in our series, The Reason for the Season, I guess my reason for the season this week would be love come down, love come down. The first Christmas was all about love coming down from heaven, and the reason for every other Christmas is love coming down throughout the community. But here's the question, why do we do it? Why do some of you in the church this year, on a time when everybody else is obsessed with materialism, consumerism, greed, and me, why are people giving up their time to peel the spuds on a Christmas Eve, or to lay the tables, or to come and cook the meals, or to give lifts, or to sit and chat? Why Why are people doing it? Well, it's all because of the reason for the season. It's all because of love. You see, this week I've been thinking a lot about love. Christmas is all about love. It's not just Valentine's. 
It's about Christmas. And actually, the, the joy of love come down isn't just about one day a year. It's not just about one season a year, but actually it's about every week and every day of the Christian's life. And so today, looking at the reason of the season, I want to look at love. And I want to look at one of the most famous verses in the Bible. I've joked in the past, it was the only memory verse I ever knew in Welsh. So every time in Siloam, when you had to give a memory verse, they all had their clever memory verses. Jonathan Thomas, do carry a do. Every time, do carry a do. God is love. That's all I knew. Um, but it was a good theology to start off with. And so I want to look at love from 1, Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4. Sorry, 1 John chapter 4. Um, and I'm going to show you three things from this passage about love at Christmas. So 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin at verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how we, God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. First thing I want to show you in the passage is that most famous of phrases, that Welsh memory verse, do carry a do. God is love. It comes there in verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now we need to understand this phrase and, and as we come to the phrase, um, I think I'm going to go with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this who said, more than ever do I feel my utter and complete inadequacy as I try to handle words like these. More than ever do I feel my utter and complete inadequacies as I try to handle words like these. To preach on the phrase, God is love, is, as one man said, trying to rugby tackle a pool table. You can try, but you're not even going to get your arms around it, let alone move the pool table. And so when it comes to this phrase, God is love, it's hard. But how you understand that phrase will change your life. How you understand the phrase, God is love, affects your Christian walk and your relationship with God on a daily basis. Really, we're in the realm of theology, and sometimes we think that theology is for theologians. But actually, everybody has a theology. Everybody has a science of God, a knowledge of God. And the way you understand the phrase, God is love, will affect things like your security and assurance, the way you view yourself and your worth, the way you live in society and treat others. So it's vital that we get this phrase, God is love, right. Now, there's a couple of misconceptions. Let me give you a couple of misconceptions with um, God is love. And there's three ways you could get this phrase wrong, which are very common. The first way is this. When you hear God is love, you think the Beatles. That is, you think all you need is love. Love is all you need. So when the Bible says God is love, what you think then is, well, as long as someone is loving, then God loves them. Because love is all you need. In Welsh nonconformity, sometimes we can summarize their spirituality, and I think it was Rodri that uh, Darcy the coined this phrase once, um, prani rice aboard and nice. Buying rice and being nice. If you do that, then God loves you. It's a bizarre way of bringing in salvation by works into the Christian faith, whereby because you think God is love, you think love is God. So as long as you love, God will love you. How often do you hear people say, 
when someone died and they said, well, were they a Christian? I don't know, but they were really loving. They were really loving. What's the inference? The inference is love is God. Love is everything. But just go to another one of John's most famous phrases, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his own son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. So when John says here that those who love know God, he's not saying that everybody in the world who loves in one way, shape, or another is a Christian. No, no, no. He's talking in 1 John about a deeper love, a love that comes from God. And God is not merely defined by love. Love is not God. Love is not all you need. You know, sometimes there are more loving people outside the church than inside the church. I think sometimes more is done in terms of transformation in society outside the church than inside the church. And that is, a, I think, a comment on the church that we need to take on board. But that doesn't mean that they are Christians. Love is not all you need. The second misconception is this. God is only love. So that is, you hear God is love, and that becomes your ultimate definition of God. You ignore all of the definitions of God. God is light, God is spirit, not interested. God is love. So the only thing you know about God is God is love. And so you look at everything in God's life and in the Bible through the lenses of love. You kind of flatten the attributes of God. You flatten the characteristics of God to whereby he is just love. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Washington, I went to a museum, and it just happened to be where the Jefferson Bible was. And I've always wanted to see the Jefferson Bible. Jefferson, when he was a president, bought two New Testaments, and then he would cut out the New Testaments, the bits he didn't like. He had to have two because he was double-sided, so in cutting one bit out, he cut another bit out. And so he took the pages off, he cut the bits out he didn't like, and just kept the bits of the Bible he liked. It was called the Jefferson Bible. You can actually buy it today. He never did it for publication, but they found it after he died and, and publicized it. And sometimes we think that with God. So we look at any verse with love in, and that's God. But any verse that talks about holiness, or wrath, or judgment, we ignore them because God is love becomes the ultimate definition. And really in doing that, generally what we're doing is swapping the phrase. Instead of believing God is love, we believe love is God. And it's not God's definition of love, it's your definition of love. Very often, we're not so much created in the image of God as we create God in our image. So what I think is right and wrong, well, that's what God thinks is right and wrong. What I think is loving and fair is what God thinks is loving and fair. And so really, what we do is we project onto God our ideas of, of love. But that's not right. God actually exists. He's actually real. He actually has feelings and emotions. There's actually right things and wrong things about God. And so some of us, well, we just think it's love and, and nothing else. And so we have to ignore certain parts of the Bible. But there's a third misconception. And this may be for some of you this morning. When you hear God is love, you think, yeah, but he's not love for me. You understand that God is love, and you can understand that he loves others. He can love your Christian friends, or he can love your brother, or he can love someone like Mother Teresa, but, but you? No. Deep down, your greatest fear is that God is love for everyone except you. And so perhaps you're here this morning, and you're someone who, you're on a spiritual journey of becoming a Christian, but, but you're just thinking, do you know what? 
I'm not good enough for God to love me or I'm too bad for God to love me. You believe that God is love. You desperately want to hold on to that, but you don't believe it's for you. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you're a Christian already. And even as a Christian, something has happened in your life or something hasn't happened and now you're starting to doubt. Does God really love me? Because if he's all-powerful and all-loving, then he will do this. But if it's not happening, or if that illness has come, or if that certain something hasn't come through, then either he's not all-powerful, or he's not all-loving. And perhaps you're here this morning, and I'm just struggling. And my aim this morning is, is, my aim or my prayer is that this morning, that we would all go away more convinced that God loves us. That every single one of us here would go away more convinced that God is love, and he is love for you. So there's a couple of ways we can get it wrong. But when it says God in love, there's a couple of things that I just want to point out before we get further into the text. Just, just three things to point out very quickly. When it says God is love, it, it says that God is love. I'll repeat that word in different ways. God is love. So he's only ever been love. He is love in his being, in his very essence. It's not just that God is loving or God does lovely things, but God is love. If you want to know who God is, whilst he is more than love, everything he does is within that framework of love. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the first truth I want you to grasp in these initial thoughts. God has been loved since eternity past. God has been loved since eternity past. Because God is love, he's never not been love. He's only ever been love. So before the creation of the world, he was love. Before I was born, he was love. Before you were thought of, God was love. Before that first Christmas, God was love. So here's the question, where was the love? Before creation, before you and me, before humanity, where was the love? Well, here's the second thought. God was love in community. Who have ever thought about this? God is trinity. Whilst God is one, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means that he is community. And so actually, God never needed to create human beings to have someone to love. God could literally love himself because he was community. And in eternity, before the creation of the world, there was love. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that this is a Trinity verse. God is love. Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 17? He says this. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. God the Father loved God the Son before the creation of the world. God the Son loved God the Holy Spirit before the creation of the world. In eternity, in all of history, God has always been love in and of himself. But here's the third amazing truth about God is love. God reveals his love. God reveals his love. What's the point of a love that's not revealed? What's the point of a love that's not shown? And throughout the Bible, really, what you've got is a love letter from God to humanity. Throughout the Bible, as you look at every chapter of the Bible, you see this amazing story of love and rescue. When God comes and walks in the garden and clothes Adam and Eve, even though they've rebelled, you see love. When God comes down and releases the, the, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, you see love come down. Do you remember when we preached through Hosea? When the Israelites had rebelled against God 
and they didn't want anything to do with him, and they had gone out prostituting themselves to other gods, God sent Hosea and said, Hosea, go and tell my people that I love them. Marry Goma and show to them how unfaithful they are, but yet how much you love Goma is how much I love them. All the way through the Bible, God is revealing himself in love. But we stand in an amazing place today. Hebrews begins with these words. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What's he saying? In all those ways he showed his love in the Old Testament, they were great. But come the New Testament, come now, God shows us his love in his son, Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself. And so actually we can see what it means for, be, for God to be loved. So here's my first point, God is love. I'm saying, do you know what? I don't think we can mine it fully, but we need to make sure that we've at least got it right, that we're not getting it wrong, because it has huge implications for our life. But secondly, this is what I'm saying, love came down, love came down. Not only is God love out there within the Trinity, but God is love who came down. Have a look at verses 9 to 10 with me. Verses 9 to 10. This is how God showed his love amongst us. Amongst us, He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, let us also love one another. You see, it's in Jesus that we see God love most clearly. If you want to know what it means, God is love, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. If you look at Jesus, you will understand the, 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 the fact that God is love. Now, how do you know someone is in love? How do you know someone is in love with you? Well, let me take you to a classic film of intellectual proportions, Elf. I've watched Elf about eight times this week. I'm really enjoying it. I'm learning the script off by heart now. Will Ferrell, Elf. Um, Noah doesn't want to watch it. I'm just watching it. So I love Elf, and, and Elf, bless him, he falls in love. He falls in love with this woman. And when his little brother is asking him how he knows he's in love, he says two things. He says, number one, I feel warm inside. Number two, my tongue has swollen. And number three, the little brother says, oh, well, eat with her. He goes, what? Eat with her. That's the sign. That's the nod. If you ask her out for a meal, if she says yes, you know she likes you too. Three bits of evidence for Elf. So how do you know if you fall in love? The kids are in today, so maybe one day you might find a boy, and uh, I think you'll chase him off, won't you, Paul? But uh, you might find a boy or a nice girl. How do you know you're in love? If you feel warm inside, and your tongue swells up, and she says yes to going to McDonald's, you're in there. It's brilliant. That's just one for the kids. So love came down. Here's the question. What's the evidence? What's the evidence for knowing that that God loves us. John gives us three pieces of evidence. Number one, A, Jesus came to earth. That's what he says. This is how we know. This is how we know God loved us. He sent his one and only son into the world. The incarnation, the becoming flesh of God, God becoming one of us, is the first and primary evidence for God's love towards us. You see, think about it. It's not just God coming into any old world. It's God stepping into the world he created and then rebelled against him. You've got to not just remember the creation in Genesis 1 and 2. You've got to remember the fall in Genesis 3. We told God where to go. We rebelled against him. We had enough of him. 
Jesus told a parable about it, and it goes like this. He says, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. That's the situation. God has created the world, given us the world, and we have taken it and ignored him. And throughout the Old Testament, God kept sending prophets like Hosea, prophets like Isaiah, and saying, I love you. I love you. I've created this world for us to enjoy together, for you to enjoy me. I I love you. And every time they send someone to say that God loves them, they kill them. Or they beat them up and ignore them. I wonder what you would do if you were God. If you were God and you created the world and the world had done to you what we did to God, I wonder what you'd do. Would you have a kind of Dale Farm eviction? Get, get the police in, get them out. What would, you, what would you do? Maybe you'd get a couple of mates around with baseball bats to get them out. I, I don't know, what would you do? What does he do? The parable goes on, Jesus says, last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Why do you send your son into a situation where others have been killed and beaten? Send your son if you love the people you're going to. If you love the people you're going to. And the fact that Jesus became a man, that shows his love towards us. And, And listen to what happened. Jesus goes on, but then the tenants saw the son. They said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. The incarnation, God coming into our world, is an evidence of of love. The incarnation is, if you're not quite sure what it is, is what Joshua Harris calls God with a belly button. God with a belly button. That's what the incarnation is. The shock for Jesus to come into the world must have been horrendous. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. The shock of coming into the world. I, I mean, he'd come into the world in his Christophanies, his appearings in the Old Testament, but he'd never actually become one of us. Now, when I was a kid, I used to love, on glorious hot summer's days, going swimming in Brynamon baths. But there's one thing about Brynamon baths that is very, very true. No matter how hot it is, no matter how hot it's been, the water's always freezing. The water's always freezing. And, and no matter how much you knew it was going to hurt, every year we'd say, right then, boys, top board, top board. So in you'd go, stand on the top board in, in your trunks. You hadn't touched the water, and you were going to jump from the top board in to give yourself as big a shock as you could. And I tell you, it would take your breath away when you jumped into that freezing water and you'd get out as quick as you could. It was a huge shock. It would just tingle all over. But the shock for Jesus was far worse. The God of creation who could fling stars into space became a baby who had to scream for food. The God of communication who invented language had to learn to think and to speak. The God of holiness, who was so holy, he had angels, seraphim, flying about him, covering their eyes, he was so holy. And he came into a world of sin. He came into a world of suffering. He came into a world of, of sickness. The shock for Jesus must have been horrendous. And he did it because he, he loves us. You see, how do you know the shepherd loved the one sheep? He went to get the one sheep. That's how you know he loved the sheep. How do you know God loves us? Because he came to get us. 
he came to get us. But, but here's the second truth here. It's not just that he came. Have a look at why, um, when he came. Verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us as an atoning sacrifice. And have a look down at verse 19. Verse 19, it comes in the same section. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. I want you to grasp the timing. I want you to grasp the timing. When did God come into our world? Before we loved him. Before we repented. Before we changed. God loved us first. You see, when you have an argument, not that any of us have arguments, but say you ever have an argument with someone and, and, and you're arguing, let's be honest, it's not your fault, it's, it's their fault. It's their fault. They, they're 100% to blame. And they storm out. How do you know if you love them? If you love them, you'll go out after them even though it's not your fault. That's how you know you love them. If you love someone, when you have an argument, it's the one who hasn't done wrong who takes the initiative. That's how you know true love, because that is the hardest thing in the world to do, isn't it? To take the blame and the rap for something you haven't done. How do we know God loves us? He loves us, we know, because he came to us before we went to him. I didn't ask Jesus to come into this world. I didn't ask God to send his only son. God sent his only son. Jesus agreed to come in creation before I was born. That's how much he loves us. He comes to us first. And do you know, the timing of his love has huge ramifications for our security and assurance. Huge ramifications. Because if he loved us before we could earn his love, then his love is not earned and we can't lose it. We know those words by Philip Yancey, don't we, so well. But here's the question, do we believe them? There's nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. You'll only believe those words if you believe the timing. God loved you before you loved him. Henry Law, one person, said this, Eternal love devised a plan. Eternal wisdom drew the model. Eternal grace came down to build it. God came to save us. So he came, he came before we asked him, and here's the third evidence. Here's the third evidence. He goes on in verse 10, and he says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the third bit of evidence. Atoning sacrifice. If you've got an ESV or an older Bible, propitiation. That is, he sent Jesus to die. It's a verb. It's a doing word, love. You see, I want you to understand, it's not like jumping into Brunaman Baths, is it? It's really not like jumping into Brunaman Baths. It's more like arriving in the Antarctic, someone cutting a, a, a hole in the ice and jumping into the waters there. That's more like the shock that Jesus had. Because he not only came into our world of sin, but he surrendered to our world of sin and suffering, and he died on the cross. That's how we know that God loved us. I mean, have you ever thought about it? Imagine it. Jesus had to grow up like a baby. He had to be potty trained. He had to learn to hold his spoon to feed himself. He had to have Mary and Joseph to clean him when he messed himself. He had his closest and dearest say he wasn't the son of God. He had his brothers 
say he was insane. He had to know the limitations of being in one place at one time. He had to know the limitations of not being able to go everywhere and anywhere and do everything. He limited himself. And as if that wasn't enough, he had to know what it was like to go through a trial that was illegal, that was unfair, that was filled with lies. He had to see when his closest friends deny him and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. He had to see one of his other closest friends who said, hey, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll do anything for you. He had to see him swear and say he didn't know him. As, as Graham Kendrick said, those hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. As, as he saw the hand of the Romans, he saw the sinews that he invented. He saw the muscles that he thought of. He saw the blood that he created in his word. And he had to surrender to them and hang on a cross. He had to hang naked in front of his mother and his closest and dearest. At any point he could have gone. At any point he could have clicked his fingers and had hundreds and thousands of angels. At any point he could have bent the, the workings of biology and history. He could have done anything and he stays there. He stays there. He stays there. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. How do you know God is love? Because he came for you. He came before you asked him and he did the most amazing thing. He gave up his life. He became an atonement to make us right with God. That's how we know God loves us. Because when we look at Jesus, we see what it means God is love. Do you know, this time next week, church will be over and I'll be home. And let me be very clear, all my presents will be open by now. None of that patience, none of that kindness, none of that gentleness goes out the window once the presents come out. I'm open my presents. And, and I can't wait. And, and let me tell you two things. If, if I didn't open my presents, two things are true. Truth number one, I'm missing out. Truth number two, the person who gave me the gifts, they'll be, they'll be offended. Someone gives you a gift. If you don't open it, you miss out and the giver is offended. Let, let, me, sh let me tell you, Jesus' incarnation, Jesus coming, love coming down, it's a gift. Paul says in Romans that the wages of sin, what you deserve is death. But the gift of God, what you don't deserve, what is given to you, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. And, and Jesus lived in our world. He lived our life and died our death so that we wouldn't have to go to hell, that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God, but that we could know God. The God who loved us in eternity, we can love him and enjoy him in eternity. And he hands it to us as a gift. And, and literally, all we have to do is open it. You don't have to earn the gift. You don't have to be good enough for the gift. You don't have to make sure that you're not too bad for the gift. The gift is for anyone. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, does God love you? Yes, he does. As much as he sent Jesus for me, he sent Jesus for you. If you're here this morning and, and you want to trust in Christ, but you're not sure, as much as he died for me, he died for you. And he's holding out his hand and he's saying, take my gift. 
take my love. Know me. You can be nine, you can be 15, you can be 30, you can be 50, you can be 75. You can know the love of God. You see, the love of God isn't just something out there. It's not just something abstract. It's something concrete. God is love is a person. A love come down, a love came to die. But I, I want to give you one final point, a third point. If we've seen that God is love, and if we've seen that love has come down, here's my question. Why did John write this passage? Why did John write this passage? And why did I start my sermon talking about Christmas Day and the Christmas Day meal? Because when John is teaching this passage, his big aim is to get us to love one another. That's his big aim here. So on Christmas Eve, when we have Vangelo singing, which is always a highlight of our year, they will sing for us, O Holy Night. And the third verse of O Holy Night begins like this. Truly he taught us to love one another. And that isn't just a tag on for Christmas. It's not just a liberal part of Christianity. It is central to Christianity. That if we have received God's love, then we love one another. This is the big point of what John is is saying. Let me just give you three reasons why we should love one another. The first reason is this. It's a response to God's love for you. You love because God loves you. Do you remember that? In verse 11, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also love one another. Do you remember verse 19? We love because he first loved us. The love that John is asking us to do is not love to earn God's love. It's a love in response to God's love. It's always the classic storyline in a Hollywood film, isn't it? The bitter man or the bitter woman who's had enough and they won't do anything. They're bar humbug and in the end they fall in love and as they fall in love and are shown love, their heart melts and they're able to show love. Well, all the stories in Hollywood are somehow a weak resemblance of the gospel story. They all come from the ultimate story. And the ultimate story is this, is that when we are loved and when we know God's love, we will love others. You cannot be loved by God and know his love and not love others. Once you grasp that God is love and that love came down and that Jesus died for you, you love each other. And so love is a response to God's love. But B, loving others is an evidence of God's love in your life. You see, 1 John is written as a book of assurance. So if you think of it like this, John, the gospel, was written to show us how to become a Christian, and 1 John was written to show us how we know we're Christians. 1 John isn't written as a kind of test to read, like, read 1 John, and if you're good enough, you may be a Christian. 1 John, rather, is written like this. If you read 1 John and you are a Christian, you'll see yourself in there. You'll see yourself in there. And there's a couple of things. You'll see the fact that you believe in Jesus. You'll see the fact that you're dealing with sin. You may not be perfect. You'd call you a liar if you said you were perfect, but you were dealing with sin. And the third evidence is, is you love one another. That's how you know. So do you know what? When you show love, when you have that desire in you to love, then you know that you've experienced God's love. You know it. And have a look at verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. You see, when you love others, 
It gives you a confidence in your faith. Because you see, do you know what? God is at work. I'm not doing this to earn God's love, but because God has loved me. But did you notice that one in verse 13? Slightly different. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. What's he talking about there? This evidence of God's love isn't just an external demonstration of love, but it's an internal experience of love. Some people call it the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. What I mean is this. When you're a Christian, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He dwells in you. He is in you. And so at times, not all the time, but at times you will internally, in your heart, know the love of God. Paul puts it like this in Romans 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, God does a work from the inside. We love externally because we're loved internally. I wonder, do you know that love? And some of you know are sitting there going, do you know what, at the moment I'm not feeling that love. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not saying this sermon to make you doubt your salvation. I'm trying to show you that God loves you. But have you known at some point in your life, in your heart, that God loves you? Have you ever asked God to pour out his love in your heart? Have you ever prayed, God, show me your love? I wonder sometimes whether we think that that's a wrong kind of prayer. It seems like a very selfish prayer, doesn't it? But if God is love, and love came down in Jesus, and Jesus' reason for being was to show us God's love, then surely God wants us to experience his love. Surely he wants us to enjoy his love. But what I love about Romans 5 is, is and we haven't got time to get into it, and there are two things about Romans 5. How do we know that Christ loves us? Number one, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We base the love on what God has done in Christ. But number two, he puts his love in our hearts. And so sometimes in our Christian faith, and some of you are experiencing this at the moment, you don't feel God's love. What do you do at that point? Most of us go, he doesn't love me. I don't feel it, he doesn't love me. No, no, no. The reason Jesus has given us the two evidences I feel it, but as well, I can look at Jesus dying on the cross. It's so that in this world of sin, where I'm in this body that still is in flesh, I can know that. I read last week about the French plane that went down. It was lost in the sea, wasn't it, about three years ago? And it's amazing. I, I, you know, there were hundreds of people on board. There were three experienced pilots, and they just went into a tropical storm, and as they went into the tropical storm, they have something in the cockpit, which is called St. Elmo's Fire, where all the lights in the cockpit flash up. At this point, for some reason, the captain decided to go into the back to have a rest, left the two co-pilots in charge together, which meant that when you do that, neither of the co-pilots know which is the chief pilot. And it turns out that for two and a half minutes before the plane crashed, they found the black box, for two and a half minutes... The plane was shouting, stall, 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 stall. The plane had stalled. Literally blaring at them, stalled, 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 stalled. But the pilots didn't believe that the plane could stall. Because in the automatic pilot, that type of plane couldn't stall. But because certain pipes had frozen, automatic pilot had knocked off, and they didn't have enough experience to know that the plane could stall. They didn't realize the plane had stalled. 
the, the really experienced pilot, the pilots with 15,000 uh, hours flying experience, they would have listened to the blaring noise going stalled, 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 stalled. But they didn't. They went by what they could feel on the gear sticks. They went by what was happening on the dashboards from this St. Elmo's fire. And as Christians, in our faith sometimes, we've got a choice to go by our feelings or to go by the facts. Sometimes you won't feel God's love. And that's okay. But read God's word, and you will see that God is love, and love has come down, and he loves you. He's not saying stalled, stalled, stalled. That's what some of you think he's saying. He's saying, God is love, God is love, God is love. I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus has died for you, he has died for you, he has died for you. Nothing will separate you from my love. Nothing will separate you from my love. Nothing will separate you from my love. That's what he's telling you. And you may not feel it, but it is true. But if you pray, that feeling one day will come back. And we rejoice in that feeling and we enjoy that feeling, but we don't base our life on that feeling. We base our life on the facts. And so when you love others and when you feel God's love, it is an evidence of God's love to you and it's encouraging. But thirdly and finally, it's a demonstration of God's love to the world. Do you know when you love other people, that is a demonstration of God's love to the world. How does the world know that Jesus lives? How does the world know that Jesus has died? The world knows because of you, because of his church. This is big in John's theology. In John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, no one's ever seen God, but now Jesus has come. And then Jesus goes back. So in 1 John, he says, no one has ever seen God. But if you love one another, people see God. Just as Jesus was the incarnation of God's love, the church is the incarnation of God's love. We're the ones who are to go into the world and to show people that. David Jackman says this, the church is the audiovisual presentation to a dying world. Christ's physical presence is no longer in the world, but if people want to see Jesus, they should be able to meet him in the church. Francis Schaeffer, who I love, said this, the Christians loving Christians, Christians loving, it's the ultimate apologetic. It's the ultimate apologetic. I wonder, do you show this? As a church, do we show this love? It was great last week we had a rooted leaders meeting and it was great just going around the rooted groups and seeing how in those groups love has been shown practically. That there are pastoral care issues going on that I am not really fully aware of but the groups are taking care of it. They are loving one another. And when the world sees that they see something different. When the world sees you going to fetch someone on Christmas day they will see something different. When they hear your conversations in the coffee shops or see you visiting elderly members or giving lifts to people in church, they will see something different. When you enjoy God's love, you will love others. You will know that God loves you and the world will know. And I'm not making this up. John 13, 35, Jesus says this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. And so this Christmas, this is what I want to encourage you. I want you to encourage you to enjoy God's love for you. This Christmas, just keep reminding yourself God loves you. How do you know God loves you? Because he came. Because he came before I loved him and he came to die. So fill your hearts with the love of God and 
fill your life with love for others. Love one another in the church. Forgive one another in the church. It's said, isn't it, that, I don't know if it's true, that the Apostle John who, who wrote this in old age, he would be wheeled out into his pulpit. I don't know if this is true. And, and he would just always say one little sermon, which would go like this, little children, love one another. I don't know if it's true. I'd like to think it is. Little children love one another. But that's ultimately what he's saying, isn't it? If God has loved you and come for you, love one another. Love one another. Well, that's it for another episode of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly, why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.